The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 193. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. Also go to McClanahanAcademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. Enroll in that, and of course, you will get the best deals on my McClanahan Academy courses. I will have one coming out early 2019, probably within the first couple of months of 2019. So you're going to want to get in on that so you can get the best deals when the new classes are released. And of course, you can always support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going Everything you you uh, donate is greatly appreciated. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the topic of the day, and it's actually an article that was published uh, in the Atlantic uh, by John Dingle. And John Dingle was a member of Congress for nearly sixty years, and he wrote this little op-ed talking about what he would do to make government better. So I read this, and it's just so full of red meat that I had to chew into it, right? I had to take this thing apart. Again, as the millennials like to say, I had to unpack it. So I want to, <laughs> there are so many things to get into with this particular piece. And, and that way, if, if Dingle's objective was to be thought-provoking, uh, I, I, it worked. Uh, unfortunately, I think people are going to read this, and they're going to want to do what he said. And, and I say that because there's always some discussion of this. And some of this stuff is just absolute lunacy. And it, it's a complete misunderstanding of the founding generation, originalism, the original intent of the Union, the Federal Republic. I mean, there are so many problems with this piece and so many pitfalls. Uh, it has to be discussed. But most importantly, John Dingell is about 95 years old. I can't remember exactly how old he is. I mean, the guy, maybe, I think he's 92. Actually, 92, excuse me. 92 years old. So this is the ramblings of an old man trying to beat some young whippersnapper over the head with a cane. Uh, and he says, look, I'm an old man. Um, I think in some cases a senile old man. I mean, this some of this stuff is just absolutely uh, ridiculous. But not just that, he's certainly got an, an axe to grind. He's got to take out his political enemies. He's got to call them all kinds of names. And um, th- this is indicative of where the left is today. He says he's trying to prevent a civil war with high-minded discourse, uh, but when you look at what he says here, what he's trying to do is eliminate the opposition from having a voice in government. I mean, that's that's the point. He's saying, well, you need to avoid a civil war by us winning and overwhelming the other side so they can't have a role or a voice in what happens in the direction of government. This piece is completely preposterous, but I'm going to read a lot of it because, again, it's it's just so funny. So much red meat here, you got to slice it all apart and chew it up. Uh, now, he says, in my six decades of public service, the guy served in Congress for 59 years, and he's somehow criticizing... Uh, <laughs> He's criticizing people for having a lack of faith in government. Maybe it's because we had people like you serving in the Congress for 59 years, and the fact that your wife now has your seat. It's nepotism. 
Your father served in Congress. Obviously, he has a dog in the fight in saying that Congress is the savior for things because this is what this guy has believed for six decades, plus his father was in the Congress. He's simply just a cranky old man, but he also is a nationalist. Everything has a nationalist, top-down nationalism. And he says these are not just the, the grumblings of an angry old man lamenting the loss of the good old days. No, no, no. His thing is, the problem is, Americans don't trust government. Americans, only 18% of Americans trust government. This is good that only 18% of Americans trust the federal government to do anything. He says it's because of the Vietnam War and Watergate and Ronald Reagan's folksly but popular message that government was not here to help, the Iraq War, and worst of all, by far, the Trumpist mindset. Notice that he didn't say anything about the fact that the reason that Americans don't trust government, and I, I think if you looked at this, is because government has made a lot of promises, but they don't ever deliver on those, and all they give you is higher taxes, more debt, more regulations, more things that you can't do, more bureaucrats, more corruption. Maybe that's why Americans don't trust government. And rightly so. The founding generation didn't trust government. Somehow, we've gone from the founding generation didn't trust government to people like John Dingell, who thinks government is important. Now, he mentions in 1958, 73% of Americans thought government would do the right thing. In 1958. That was a unique period in American history. A unique period. And I think this is where we have this perception problem in America. One of the perception problems that we have. And that we think that the World War II era was the norm in American history and not the exception. And of course, in 1958, what you had in America, first of all, immigration had been cut off for decades. You had a fairly homogenous population in that Americans had been Americanized for the most part in 1958. Didn't matter race, religion, uh, where your family was from originally, you had been predominantly Americanized. Now, of course, in 1958, people would say, well, we were, we were still divided. You still had segregation. You still had some of these things. And certainly, these things existed. But the dominant political class, the dominant culture of America, was generally held by almost all Americans. I mean, John Dingell portrays himself as a Christian in this piece. He's a World War II vet. Um, that was a, a unique period in American history. Unlike any other, we never had one people in the founding generation. We never had one people in the antebellum period, even though people like John Marshall and others believed it. We didn't have it. We never had one people following the war. This Lincolnian vision of America was a fabrication, a lie. But yet by World War II, people had sopped it up and believed it enough. It's all unraveled because people saw the emperor had no clothes. And it wasn't just Watergate, certainly Watergate and the corruption of the Nixon regime, and the corruption of the presidents before that, the Franklin Roosevelt regime, that corruption. Woodrow Wilson, uh, there was corruption there. Of course, Truman, Johnson, he doesn't talk about Andrew Johnson and Johnson's corruption. He does say the Vietnam War, but the, the fact that you had this great society that promised a lot and just brought a bunch of debt and regulation, and people are tired of that kind of stuff. So, that's the problem. He's right to say that Americans have been bamboozled. They have. 
And it's because of men like John Dingell. He was part of the problem. He served in Congress for six, six decades. But no, it's not his fault. No, no, no. It's Ronald Reagan. It's Richard Nixon. It's Donald Trump. Notice, he doesn't really place the blame on any of his fellow Democrats here. I, I, I agree. Republicans are the problem. So are the Democrats. The entire system is the problem. The entire nationalist political system that people like John Dingell have helped create is a problem. But yet, nope, he wants more of that. He's going to double down on that because supposedly that's going to make things better. Then he says, quote, These jackasses who see deep state conspiracies in every part of government are a minority of a minority. Yet they are now the weakest link in the chain of more than three centuries of our American republic. So, the jackasses who see a deep state conspiracy, you mean the fact that we have a fourth leg of government, the bureaucracy that works to undermine just about anything that elected people want to do? I guess that makes people like us jackasses. Uh, The fact that the states have been undermined by the central authority, the real fourth leg of government, the states, no longer have any control over the general government? Right. Nope, nope, it's... We're just jackasses. And so this is, again, this is a cranky old man. He says at the beginning, he's just not some cranky, angry old man. He is a cranky, angry old man who's trying to get off my lawn with my cane. Get out of here. I'm going to, I was in Congress for six decades, sonny boy, and I'm going to beat you over the head with my cane. Get off my lawn. Get off my Congress. You see, that's the problem. The the Democrats do have an age problem in terms of they've got a lot of people in power who are in their 70s and 80s, and you've got all these young people coming in who are dangerous, frankly. Uh, but the, the problem is that the Democrats in power are listening to them too much, uh, but they're dangerous. But still, I can understand these younger Democrats saying, you know, you guys don't represent us anymore. Uh, we want to be pinkos. We want to be democratic socialists. I wish they would just go for it. Because I think at the end of the day, the American people would say, you know what, that's pretty dangerous. But you see, Dingle wants to double down on some of that stuff. He continues, Ben Franklin was right. The founders gave us a precious but fragile gift. If we do not protect it with constant vigilance, we will most certainly lose it. Uh, A precious but federal gift, that, that gift has been gone. It's been gone for a long time. The Federal Republic was destroyed. Really, in 1789 with the first Congress and the Judiciary Act and the ability of of individuals to appeal straight to a federal court. That's when it was gone. But I digress. Or you could say, you know, of course, all the constitutional machinations over time and what's happened. But this is, this is the problem. I mean, it's not what Dingell says the problem. It's, it's nationalism is the problem. He says, as an armchair activist, I now have the luxury of saying what I believe should happen, not what I think can get voted out of committee. And of course, the problem, he says later on, is that racism still remains part of our national life. This is all about race. The reason that people oppose these things is because they're racist. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's all just about race. So here we go. Right? If you can't win the argument, just call people racists. I think people are getting tired of that in America. Um, you know, I don't agree with big government. Well, you're racist. I mean, you just want to, what? Uh, I don't believe with what, uh, I don't believe in what 
that President Obama, you're a racist. Boom, hit him over the head with the book of racism, even though it has nothing to do with it. But you're just a racist. I mean, I see this. Uh, there was somebody who reviewed my Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution. The reason I wrote that book, according to this nincompoop, is that I just didn't want minorities to have a role in government. I just don't like women. I don't like minorities. I don't like any of these people. I don't like them. I mean, the fact that I'm married and have three daughters. Yeah, I hate women. <laughs> yeah, I just don't like women at all. You know, uh, I just I just hate them. Uh, it's, some of these arguments are just so... But this is what they do. If they can't win, they just call you names. I've seen this so many times uh, when people, again, quote-unquote, review my books. That's it. I, I mean, I don't like Alexander Hamilton because I'm a racist. You know, huh? I, I don't I don't like big government because I'm, I'm a racist. Yeah. If I had my way, according to some of these reviews, and I think John Dingle would probably say this about me, uh, if I had my way... Uh, we would just have everybody oppressed out there in society. There would be uh, no freedom at all. I would just oppress everyone except for the people that I like. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what I would do. Uh, I mean, that's you got me. You got me. It's why I believe in thinking locally and acting locally and getting involved in your own government at the local level. And uh, I have talked about on this on this podcast and, and, and of course, the Abbeville Institute podcast, which if you don't get that one too, you should you get me three times a week with that. Uh, I, I've only talked about the fact that uh, we should support uh, minorities in controlling their own communities. Whatever that minority is, if it's a political minority, racial minority, ethnic minority, I'm all for that. Control your own communities. Do it. Do it. The balkanization is preferable to the nationalism of John Dingle. Because if John Dingle has his way, he would control everybody. At the expense of the minority. And you know what? He says it. No, I don't like minorities. I just advocate a system that would help minorities. Yeah, I don't like minorities at all. And that was the entire idea of the Federal Republic. He says, just for a moment, however, let's imagine that American system we might have if the better angels of our nature would prevail. Yes, Abraham Lincoln channeling Lincoln, if the better angels of our nature, if we would just be more like Abraham Lincoln and slaughter a million people, that would be great. Wouldn't that be great? We'll be like Lincoln. We'll slaughter a million people. That's the better angels of our of our nature. Go out there and just invade somebody else, invade a minority, and say you can't do, you can't have self determination. That would be our better angel. And he and he says it essentially in here. Okay, and I'm going to get to that. First, these are his proposals. He says these are suggestions for a framework that might help restore confidence and trust in our precious system of government. What system is that? Of course, a top down national government system, which is not our system of government that we got through the Constitution. So first and foremost, we need an electoral system based on full participation. And how is he going to do that? Well, when you're 18 years old, you're automatically registered to vote. No photo ID, no residency test, no impediments of any kind. Nope. Yet we should keep these voting uh, voting to American citizens only, and we should have strict prohibitions on against foreign meddling. But how are we going to do that? If there's no voter ID required or you're just automatically registered and the states also control, like California, if they say, well, uh, we're going to recognize you as a legal resident, doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not of the United States, doesn't matter, uh, we're just going to say you can vote. Now, I would actually argue that the states can do this. I mean, the states, for 
throughout the entire history of America have determined who can and cannot vote. Uh, and there were American, non-U.S. citizens were allowed to vote. In the 18th century, in the 19th century, it happened all the time. So if the states want to do that, fine, as long as you maintain a federal system, because California can't mess everything up if they only have two senators. Now they're going to have a big chunk of the House of Representatives. But regardless, they can only control so much, as long as you maintain the federal system. But you see, that's not what John Dingell wants to do. He wants to scrap the entire federal system, have everybody voting, and therefore his people will win the elections at the expense of the minority. And he says it. He says it. No minority rights, no protection for minorities. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going with majoritarian rule. Now, just a few paragraphs before, he talked about the civil rights movement, how he was for minorities. Oh, but yet it's okay if the minority is just a group you don't agree with. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Um, this is how this is lunacy. Lunacy. It is a privilege to vote, and it's something that you should make a conscious choice. You shouldn't just be registered to vote because you want to be. Uh, we should have we should have discussions on who can uh, how, how we have registration. Um, and and universal democracy and these things. These are important conversations to have, yet the left doesn't seem intent on having them because they don't care if you know anything or not. They just go out and vote. Just vote. It doesn't matter if you don't know anything about American civics. It doesn't matter if you know anything about American government. Just go vote. Michelle Obama says it. I didn't know anything. I voted. Yeah, that's the right message to send to America. Even if you're a stupid idiot, just go vote. Because, hey, you can. Sounds great. Uh, we should have a discussion of universal suffrage and and how we have people voting. This is an important conversation to have, and for years, people had these conversations. But now, if you say these things, you're just going to be called all kinds of names, an elitist, a racist, whatever it is. Even if, you're, if your opinion is not based on any of that, it's like, you know, it's based on the fact that you think that there should be some uh, question about, you know, do you know anything about government? Do you know anything about American civics? Do you know anything about the original Federal Republic? Do you know any of this stuff? Are you a U.S. citizen? Are you a citizen of the state? I mean, are, are you a citizen? Those are important conversations to have. Number two, he wants to eliminate money in campaigns. He says, period, elections like military service, each is an example of duty, honor, and service to country, should be publicly funded. So now we're creating an army of voters and of government employees in the government, government employees in the Congress, I should say. We're creating an army of these people. Can you imagine if we needed to rely on wealthy donors to fund the military? Um, we do. It's called tax dollars <laughs> because only about half the population pays taxes. So we do rely on wealthy donors to fund the military. We rely on wealthy donors to fund everything. Or we just borrow it and print it. He says, I know there are those who genuinely believe in privatizing everything. They are called profiteers. Yeah, this is a slap at libertarians. Because, uh, you know, Bob Murphy, Bob Murphy, who I've seen give talks on this, privatize everything. Bob Murphy is just trying to make billions of dollars. And God bless him if he is. But I don't think Bob Murphy is going to capitalize on all the things that would be privatized. I mean, I just don't. Or Tom Woods. 
I just don't think that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, I, I saw uh, Bob Murphy give a lecture at Mises University a couple of years ago where he talked about privatizing police forces because I'm sure Bob Murphy is going to run out there and just make billions of dollars on this. For a lot of these people that believe in this, this is about principle. And it's about the distrust of the state and looking at examples of how the state can abuse things. He says public service should not be a commodity and elected officials should not have to rent themselves out to the highest bidder in order to get into or stay in office. Now, the question is, this guy served almost 60 years in Congress. Um, did he sell himself to the highest bidder? How'd you stay in office for 60 years? What did you do, John Dingle, to stay in office for 60 years? Were you renting yourself out? Obviously. Were you giving up your office of the highest bidder? I mean, your wife is now in the same office. You don't think that there's some suspicion there that you were renting yourself out? That you were profiting from government? Yeah. I mean, the hypocrisy drips from this particular piece. If you want to restore trust in government, remove the price tag, he says, I am fully aware that the Supreme Court has declared that money is speech. That's nonsense. The day my wallet starts talking to me, I might reconsider that view. Until then, I believe that the pernicious influence of money in our elections must be removed. Well, the question is, do you have to have money to win a seat in Congress? I think for all of her faults, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez proved you don't. She got 16,000 votes and got got a seat in Congress. In a district that had a lot more people than that. 16,000 people put Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Congress. When the, when the British press starts pointing this stuff out, we're in trouble. When Americans won't report on this. 16,000 people. A minority of a minority. Put her in office. And then in the vote, I mean, it was very, barely larger than that. People actually went and voted. you got to remember, she represents 700,000 people. 16,000 people put her in office. You see. So, I mean... He, he, Supposedly, getting all these people registered to vote is going to make sure that people like John Dingle win elections. But Ocasio-Cortez had no money. She just went around, knocked on doors. She's charismatic. She's young. And people voted for her. Spoke some Spanish, whatever she had to do to get people to, to agree with her. Went to bars, talked to people. Whatever it was in her district that made her popular, uh, people voted for her. And she didn't have any money. She beat an incumbent that had all the resources at his disposal to beat her, and, and he didn't do it. So his position is completely ridiculous. You don't need money to win. You need charisma, and you need name recognition, and you can get that by simply being active. It doesn't matter. Um, so and, and having a good message for the people of your district. Now, John Dingell had name recognition and all the resources of government. That's why he stayed in office. And, of course, I'm sure he made a lot of promises. He was rented out to the highest bidder over and over again. But this is where it gets really good. So all those those two things are just kind of silly. But here's where it gets really good. The end of minority rule in our legislative and executive branches. Wait a second. I thought you were for the minority. No, 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 no. No, not when the minority is against him. Nope. The Great Compromise, as it was called when it was adopted by the Constitution's framers, required that all states, big and small, have two senators. The idea that Rhode Island needed two U.S. senators to protect itself from being bullied by Massachusetts emerged under a system that governed only 4 million Americans. First of all, that wasn't the problem in the general government. Uh, The problem was that we had a federal republic where the states 
because they were the agents of the people, most responsible to the people, were, were the um, primary building blocks of the government under the Articles of Confederation and under the Constitution. And they were not willing. It wasn't because they were worried about Massachusetts abusing them. It's because they were worried about, if you were in Virginia, Massachusetts abusing them. They were worried about people of alien views. For example, a guy, an old cranky man from Michigan legislating for me in Alabama. Yeah? Or people from Alabama legislating for this old cranky guy in Michigan. That was the point. We didn't have one people. And the domestic affairs of the states had to be handled by the people of the states. So he wants to undermine that. Today, in a nation of more than 325 million and 37 additional states, not only is that structure antiquated, it's downright dangerous to have the minority be part of the government. That's dangerous to John Dingle. Dangerous to have the minority have a major role in the government. California is almost 40 million people, while the 20 smallest states have a combined population totaling less than that. Yet because of the 18th century political deal, those 20 states have 40 senators, while California has just two these sparsely populated, usually conservative states can block legislation supported by a majority of the American people. That's just plain crazy. It's just plain crazy to have the minority out there to have a role in the government. That's just plain crazy, according to John Dingle. You almost can't make up the hypocrisy and stupidity of this old cranky man. No, minorities shouldn't have a role in government, to John Dingle. The math is even starker when you look at places like Wyoming and Vermont each of which has fewer people in the entire states than does the 12th Congressional District of Michigan, which I represented, and whose more than 700,000 residents are now in the hands of my wife, Debbie. She fights her heart out for them every single day. I wonder what percentage of those 700,000 people actually vote. I don't know. You'd have to go look. Yet her efforts are often stymied simply because it is understood that even should a bill make it through the hyper-partisan House, it will die a quiet death in the Senate because of the disproportionate influence of small states. Yeah disproportionate influence. This is the uh, Senate popular vote, the House popular vote. These are things the progressives are starting to say. They're just absolutely insane. They are power-hungry, insane, crazy individuals. And they should be blocked every chance we get. Uh, Of course, the problem here is the ratio, the representative ratio. 700,000 people? You could say that the people that uh, represent Wyoming and Vermont are closer to the population than his own district. His wife represents a fraction of, I'm sure, those 700,000 people, and not just that. Uh, That's too many people for one person to represent. So perhaps these small states actually are more democratic. With my own eyes, I've watched in horror and increasing anger as that imbalance in power has become the primary cause of our national legislative paralysis. In in primaries, the vocal rump of minority of of obnoxious asses can hold the entire country hostage to extremist views. In primaries. So progressives wanted primaries because they wanted people to have a voice in government, not John Dingell. No, no, no. We don't want that because those are, you could have a rump of, of a minority of obnoxious asses. This insanity has sent true public servants fleeing for the exits. The Electoral College has the same structural flaw. Along with 337 of my colleagues, I voted in 1969 to amend the Constitution to abolish it. 
Twice in the past 18 years, we've seen the loser of the popular vote become president through the Electoral College formula. I wonder if these people would say, you know what, in 1860, Abraham Lincoln lost the national popular vote because 61% of the population didn't want Abraham Lincoln. But, it's, I mean, we, do we criticize that? Or how about the fact that Bill Clinton never got a majority of the popular vote? So if we're just going, there should have been a runoff. Should have been a runoff. Should have been a runoff in 1860. Should have been a runoff, according to these idiots. Or the fact that Woodrow Wilson never got a majority of the popular vote. Yeah. I mean, do we do we talk about that? Nope. Nope. We don't. Because that doesn't work with the progressive narrative. Uh, he says, my friend Norm or- Ornstein, a, re- a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, so he's trying to throw around, you know, neocons, sees a democratic, democratic shift coming that will effectively transform us into two countries. He tells me that in 2050, 70% of Americans will be living in just 15 states. That 70% will then have 30 senators. And the remaining 30% of the people, mainly those living in the smallest and poorest states, will have 70 senators. I thought he was for poor people. So now he's bashing poor states. These poor states shouldn't have any role in this government. No, no. They should be marginalized. Just marginalize poor people. You see, marginalize those poor people. Don't get them, don't have any role in this. How do we fix this? How do we marginalize poor people? Well, this is how we marginalize poor people. We abolish the Senate. That's what we do. We abolish the Senate, create a unicameral legislature where the majority rules and the minority has no role. That's what we do. We marginalize those poor people. (laughs) We marginalize them so that we can have California run the government. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we want all to live in California? That's it. This is just absolute lunacy. And again, you can't make up the hypocrisy of this. I'm for poor people, just not people from the poorest states. and I'm for minorities, just not people from minority states. Yeah. He's really not. He's a nationalist majoritarian of his own party. If his own party has the majority, he doesn't care who's in it. He doesn't care what people are abused. He doesn't care what poor people are excluded from government, what states and what, what what demographics are excluded from government because his people won, you see. It doesn't matter if it's 50 plus 1%. We're going to ram our 50 plus 1% down your throats and you're going to like it from the top down. Then he gets into the fact that we have to have a free press. A free press because, of course, the Washington Post won a Pulitzer Prize for its coverage of the Russian interference in the 2006. A Pulitzer Prize. This is rigged. Okay, yeah, I'm sure they did because all their uh, individ- all their uh, buddies, the nepotism, got around and said, yeah, we like these guys. I'll we'll give them a pure surprise because we agree with what they're writing. I agree. A fair press, and a, I'm sorry, a free press needs to be there, not a fair press. And this includes uh, having the Internet be wide open for a variety of views, including social media and other things that allow people to, ex- to express views that are not establishment views, that are not controlled by the corporate media. It's fine. The corporate media does lie. The corporate media has an agenda, and it's been exposed. So I'm all for alternate views and alternate views of government. I'm all for that stuff. But John Dingell, of course, is not really. What he wants is the Washington Post and the New York Times to dominate the news cycle. What he wants is for a judge report, I'm sure, to go away. What he wants is for all of these alternate voices out there to be suppressed. And of course, he's criticizing Donald Trump for saying he doesn't like the media. I can understand because the media is biased. What needs to happen is that people need to... Look, I'm CNN and we don't like 
Republicans, or we don't like conservatives. I'm MSNBC, and we don't like conservatives. I'm New York Times, and we hate conservatives. Whatever it is, we hate libertarians. We hate these people. Why don't you just be open about it? New York Times, a pro-Democrat paper. And then people can say, eh, not reading that. <laughs> or Washington Post, giving you the biased Democrat news since 1901. Eh, I'm not going to read that. Why don't we just do that? And then forget all the faux, objective, unbiased nonsense that supposedly these news organizations have. And then we could go back to this. I mean, I, I've mentioned this. Yeah, I agree. We need a free press. We need all views out there. And that doesn't include suppression from social media organizations and keeping links from getting seen and all these things. It doesn't include any of that. Those are public-private organizations. And because they're public-private organizations, there is a different situation here. Um, and so you can say we can start our own. We can, if people are going to be deplatformed de- and all this kind of stuff. We can start our own. Uh, outlets, and that's true. I mean, this has happened. Uh, but even in those outlets, you know, you have problems with those too. So, uh, John Dingle is just a complete lunatic, uh, a hypocritical lunatic. And I wanted to talk about this piece because it really exposes what these progressives want. They don't want minority rule, they don't want poor people, particularly poor people from the South, to be uh, have a role in government. What they really want is majoritarian nationalism, one-size-fits-all government, they want to have 50-plus-1%, and they want to ensure that their legislative agenda, through getting people to come in and just, everybody votes, that would be uh, their utopia. Because they think at that point, they're never going to lose control of the government. And, of course, the Electoral College, we got rid of that, they would have their people in office all the time. It's all about power. It's always about power. The Electoral College and the Senate have become obstacles to their power, and thankfully so. The more obstacles to power you can have, the better off we are. The more obstacles to legislators like John Dingell going in and sitting there for 60 years on taxpayer money, and now he's living on taxpayer money because his wife is still a a member of Congress and he's got a pension. So all of that, for 60 years, he's living off my dime and your dime, uh, and he's able to do these things. 60 years of that. Uh, We want more people like John Dingell. No, let's have less John Dingles. <laughs> let's have think locally, act locally. Let's get rid of these knuckleheads. Because this is what they are. And let's really turn this argument back on them. When they say, we want to abolish the Senate, so you don't agree with minorities? You don't agree on minority rights? Uh, I thought you were for the minority. No, no, abolish the Senate. Oh, but, but you, you, and John Dingle says it. We don't need minority government. Hmm. Interesting. That was the whole point to protect minorities from from, uh, political majorities who are intent on plundering them and destroying them. Very important to understand. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. (laughs) 